Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Academy Queens. I am trying to seduce you, Brandon Stanwyck. And I'm still go- going up these goddamn stairs, flight after flight after flight after flight, Joey Gentile. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Excited to record uh, this first bonus episode for our Patreon feed. Yes, our first exclusive bonus episode that you guys voted on on our Twitter account. Right, and that is 1967. So pretty big year, I'd say, in movie history, especially when it comes to the Oscars. We have some pretty big uh, heavy hitters this year. Some remembered fondly, some uh, remembered not so fondly. And mm-hmm. some seem to have been forgotten, and that's a shame, and we'll get to that later. But uh, 1967's uh, going to be a good one, I think. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we did 1968 as just a bonus episode a couple seasons ago. And it was the first time that we dug outside of what was the rebellion of the 70s. And it's really interesting to see cinema in the late 60s when the studio system was breaking down, but still had like a little grip on what was coming out to the public. And then you have like half studio system movies here in 67 and half um, these real independent, like freestyled films. And it's funny, too, because we've talked about it before, but the British invasion invasion was not only music. And this is a big era for the British invasion of film. So it's real, real interesting, the 60s in general, how it started and then how it ended. And I got to say, I love how it ended. Yeah, you get a real 60s vibe from a few of these, Um, not only in their sort of tone, but a lot of these visually feel very 60s. So it's uh, it's fun to go back and watch them in bulk back to back and really feel like you're going back in time. It's like a little time capsule. This is also too at a time that I think if the date is correct. Yeah, this is at a time when the Oscars took place in April. Oh, a little bit later than they do now. I'm looking up. Hold on, because I got the book in front of me. Yep, April 10th, 1968. Hmm. Bob Hope was the host this year. Good old Bob. I could not imagine going through an entire, let's see, almost six months of Oscar season, if that was still the case now, with how it begins here in October. I don't know if it worked the same way back then. I don't know. That'd be interesting. If anyone knows, let us know. Yeah, I have a feeling the whole Oscar season thing, as we understand it now, probably didn't happen for another few decades. Yeah, see, it was weird because I remember, I I think I brought this up before, how I've interviewed Janet Sussman a couple years back. And I remember asking her if campaigning, because I remember, remember, you know, because I'm a huge, as we all know, Sussman fan. I think she should have won in 71. And I remember talking to her and being like, you know, what was your expectation going in? She's like, oh, I knew I wasn't going to win. And I was like, that's interesting to hear, you know, was the style of campaigning back in 71 the same that it is now? Or was it just, hey, here's my movie, vote for it. And she said, no, it was very much still the same then as it is now. And this was, I interviewed her in 2013 or 2014. So I'm interested to see that if it was the same like length of the season, like, holy shit, I would have been exhausted. 
I'm sure it was much more calculated back then because back then you didn't have social media and the internet and television to really boost your um, momentum. Uh, so maybe the game has always been the game. It's just changed formats over the years. Yeah. Either way, politics play a big part in these fucking awards. Have you gone to see Par- or have you been able to see Parasite yet? No, not yet. Mm-hmm. Heard wonderful yeah. things. It's so good. I would honestly say it's probably my favorite movie this year so far. Um, I was very lucky enough to see it on an early screener copy a couple of weeks back because it doesn't open up here in Cleveland until November 1st. And uh, as soon as you can, go see it. Go see it. Go see it. Take Seth. Go see it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I need to see that in the lighthouse. So. Yeah, lighthouse just opened. Although I'm not... mm, I'm a little... I'm a little reserved going into this one because I didn't like The Witch. And it's, right. the same dire- it's the same director. So watch me be the one who ends up liking Pattison's performance and not Defoe. And Defoe's the one who's getting all the shit for it. You know what I mean? Like, that's just right. my luck with, this, with, with these type of movies. I like Pattinson, though. He gets a lot of flack. And that's only because of, you know, Twilight. And that's a shame because he's done some oh, really great indie work in the years since. Absolutely. I mean, look at Kristen Stewart. She's a great actress. She just got mm-hmm. a lot of shit because of twilight and you know yeah. you know what turned me on to her seriously though was clouds of sills maria and personal shopper yeah same both of those i was like damn like she is a powerhouse here yeah she's also in a really interesting movie called camp x-ray where she plays a guard at guantanamo bay very interesting Ooh. movie interesting interesting so before we dive in shall we give a little fun fact about this uh academy Awards uh, ceremony okay all right. So going off of my book, The Academy Awards, The Complete Unofficial History by Jim Piazza and Gail Kinner, um, an unmentionable happened from Estelle Parsons when she gave a quote this year saying, I thought we'd win Best Picture, we meaning Bonnie and Clyde. And then she added, but then nobody actually likes Warren Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> While she's clutching onto her Oscar, the shade of that lady. Amazing. Love it. Amazing. Well... Let's dive right in. We have this year's crop of supporting actresses. Uh, they are... Estelle Parsons in Bonnie and Clyde. Carol Channing in Thoroughly Modern Millie. Mildred Natwick in Barefoot in the Park. Bear Richards in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Catherine Ross in The Graduate. All right, so this year is a little interesting, especially with these precursors, because every lady in this lineup pretty much has no precursors going into this, with the exception of two people. Um, starting with Mildred Netwick as Ethel Banks in Barefoot in the Park. This is her sole nomination. And going into Oscar night, she had nothing. She had nothing going into this. Um, in Barefoot in the Park, again, Mildred plays Ethel, the mother of the Jane Fonda character, who gets married to a very young Robert Redford who live on the top story of pretty much the tallest walk-up in New York City. Um, hence where my intro came in from. Um, it is a hilarious, silly comedy about a newlywed couple who realize that the honeymoon phase is over way too fast as life hits them in the face. Um, and again, Mildred plays Ethel, who's the mother, and she is pretty much along for the ride of I told you so and eventually finds love with the weirdest neighbor I've ever seen in my life. Brandon, what do you think about Mildred Network in uh, Barefoot in the Park? You know, I think she's quite charming in this. Um, 
She adds a nice little zest to this story. I mean, it's a it's an old school classic Neil Simon setup. It feels very Neil Simon in the way that it's staged and executed. And she adds a little flavor to it when the movie needs it. And I think um, she does a very admirable job at it. And the movie's not afraid to give her some little slapstick farcical moments, like when she falls down the world's largest stoop and then pops up like nothing happened. Like, that actually took me aback. I was just sitting there watching it. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit bored with the movie. I wasn't too fond of the film itself. But when she slipped and took a tumble and literally rolled down, I want to say 20 steps, 20 stone, like stoop steps, I actually like gasped a little bit and I was like, oh my God, is she going to be okay? And then she just pops back up and she's perfectly fine. And it's funny. And she pulls it off really well. I think she plays off of Jane Fonda, especially well also. Um, I really, you really buy into their relationship, even if it feels a little um, stagey at times. You just kind of go with it, and it seems legit and uh, still funny. How do you feel about her? Well, I I enjoy Barefoot in the Park because I think it, I think it's just a fun way to kill ninety minutes. Like, it's definitely not like a cinematic revelation or masterpiece. But I will say, because st- starting off with this, because we'll also to get to the very first time to talk about Audrey Hepburn today. Um, there's a thing with 1967 New York apartments that they make them look fucking huge. Um, and the fact that there's a line in it that, that Jane Fonda tells Robert Redford, don't tell mother we're paying $112 for rent. I'm just like, I would kill for a $112 apartment. I don't care what floor was on in New York city in modern day. Like what the fuck? Um, so I, you know, I noticed like weird little shit like that when it comes to movies as a performance though, I think it's cute. I think it's like, it's a fun little feel-good role. It's a fun little feel-good movie. Um, it's definitely not what I would say, quote-unquote, is Oscar bait type of performance. But I'm glad that Mildred Network got something somewhere. She was a great little actress. And um, I think it's just fine. I, th- I think it's a nice nice nod to a good actress. So, Yeah, I'm with you on that. It doesn't scream Oscar in the least. But yeah. um, she's... She's definitely turning it out here. Um, this, you know, was a time in Hollywood history where a lot of the big plays were being adapted because they were pretty cheap and fast to make. Like, if you think about it, there's only really a few sets in this entire movie, and mm-hmm. there's only a handful of actors. So it wouldn't cost too much to make this happen. You could get some pretty big names. Now, of course, Jane Fonda and Robert Redford weren't quite the stars they would have go on to become, but... You could still get them and pull it off relatively quickly and cheaply and have a hit on your hands if you mm-hmm. played your cards correctly. Um, Mild- Mildred's role doesn't scream Oscar in the least, but she's able to take a charming, well-liked play by a well-liked writer and bring this character to life and make people feel good. And people remembered it, and uh, she was recognized. And I think that's really cool because she she was a treasure in her day. Yeah, and honestly, it's funny. I feel like I remember watching this the first time, and I was like, "God, this feels just like a Gloria Swanson role, like something that she would have taken later on in life." And at the time that this came out, she would have been the right age for it. Um, and I think it would have been like a nice little nod had Swanson taken it. But I think Natwick is really good in it. I like it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. All right, we had 
the starlet breakout of 1967 up next, Miss Catherine Ross as Elaine Robinson in The Graduate. This is her sole nomination as well. And going into Oscar night, she had a BAFTA nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Now, we don't get to talk about this much because this category no longer exists, but she won the Golden Globe for Most Promising Newcomer Female. Um, side note, I don't know about you, but I don't really consider that to be a precursor going for the performance as it is just being like, here, let's reward a star of tomorrow. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it directly has anything to do with her acting, but that's just me. It Um, shows that she was on people's minds, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So she won that. um, And in The Graduate, uh, again, Catherine Ross plays Elaine, the daughter to Anne Bancroft's character who comes home from college and at first isn't really into the idea of dating Dustin Hoffman but then eventually near the end becomes swept away in love and romance. So what do you think about uh, Catherine Ross as Elaine in The Graduate? So The Graduate is a movie that I've seen a handful of times, and each time I watch it, I think I like it more and I uncover a little bit more. The first time I watched it, I was way too young. I was in like middle school when I was like going through like anything that was considered a classic I thought I needed to see. And... The Graduate was one of those early films that I watched, and I didn't really get it. Like, I understood what was going on plot-wise, but the the cultural, greater, thematic stuff going on within it was completely over my head. And I think every few years since, I've revisited this movie, and I gained something new. And I think this most recent revisit, um, Catherine Ross is the thing that I'm learning a little bit more about. I always kind of brushed off her character. Um, I always thought Elaine was a little bit too simple for this very complex movie. But this last time around, I'm realizing that Elaine is just as complex as the film itself. Um, There is a very deep emptiness to this character, a sort of aimless listlessness to her, and a, a sort of desperation that I really clicked with this time around. Um, you really feel for her early on when she, when she and Ben go on that first date where he's basically trying actively to turn her off and make her find him repulsive. Like when he takes her to a strip club and you just see her completely broken and devastated that this sweet guy who's the son of your parents' friends would do something so callous and be so careless with how how you feel. Mm -hmm. And over time, as the movie goes on, you see her sort of struggle to find her way and figure out what she wants in life, because I think she recognizes the, the sadness in her parents' relationship, particularly with her mother. And she doesn't want that for herself. But I wonder at the same time if she thinks that it's inevitable for her. And um, her struggles with that really resonated with me this time around. Um, How do you feel about Catherine Ross? You know, it's funny because there are certain movies throughout the years that we've done where I'm like, oh, this feels definitely like this decade. Or this has such a feel to it. And The Graduate as a film feels like the late 1960s just like easy rider 
feels like the 1960s or five easy pieces feels like the early 70s. Um, and I love that about this movie. And I've seen this a couple of times and it has the opposite effect with me. I feel like I remember the first time seeing this movie and loving it and just clamored with the idea of what it was. And as I've revisited, we have revisited it over the years, it gets less and less appealing to me because I just feel bored with the movie so quickly. These saving graces are these women though. And Catherine Ross, when we first get the big piece of what she's offering here is when she's taken on a date to the strip show and she's sitting there with a single tear coming down her eyes and you, your heart breaks for this character because she's been treated like shit this entire date, even though it's been a short time they've been together already. She's being ignored. She's almost pretty much getting assaulted by the stripper and all she wants is to not feel like trash or feel alone and it works and Catherine ross is fucking heartbreaking and i just want to like go through that tv screen and give her a hug and i think what she's doing there is great but then i get anno- i get really annoyed with her character because i feel for her and then she just becomes annoying to me like there's something about taking the victim stance uh of a one-sided scenario in this case I, you know, believing her mother that her mother was raped by the Dustin Hoffman character instead of trying to figure out shit for herself. And she just feels, she aggravates me because it feels like a, she feels like a puppet at that point. And so I just feel like I'm always missing something when all of a sudden she snaps back and she's like, oh, no, I want him. So I find myself annoyed with the movie as I watch it again and again and again, which is weird. Okay. Yeah. I don't blame Elaine for taking her mother's word when her mother tells her about this um, false accusation of Ben raping her in order to brush off the affair. Um, I don't blame Catherine for taking her mother's side, but I think Catherine um, is struggling throughout this entire movie to find herself and what she wants. And I mean, like with the, the ending uh, when she's about to marry this guy who basically for all I can tell has the personality of cardboard all because (laughs) he fits this mold that she and her parents want her to be married to. And um, in the end, when Ben goes and breaks up the wedding, I think it's a huge gesture for her. Unlike anything she's ever experienced before. I don't think Elaine has ever, experienced anyone fighting for her in such a way and i think she's uh swept up in it uh because you know she she rejects benjamin for the most part throughout a lot of the second half of the movie after that first really terrible date which is all Mm -hmm. ben's fault but then he has this big showy gesture and um she can't help but feel something and then they run off and you know they get on the bus and then there's the extended close-up of their faces when the realization sets in that maybe they both just fucked up and i think something is really going through both of their heads in that moment it's a very long journey and it's almost hard to watch both of them at the same time because i keep wanting to single each of them out but of course mike nichols framed it in a two shot 
And so you're forced to go back and forth. But now in the age of streaming and Blu-ray, you can go back and rewind and just watch one of them uh, and then go back and watch the other. And I think it's uh, it's a very helpful tool in today's age that audiences back then wouldn't have had. I would imagine most people's eyes gravitated toward Dustin Hoffman, considering he's our leading man. But there's something really, really sad going on in in Elaine's head in that moment. And I think Catherine Ross really, really seals the deal in that final shot with Elaine. There you go. I like how that one gave us gave us both very different things to like take from it. Yeah, but only it took several viewings of The Graduate for me to get here with Elaine. Like like I said, when I, the first couple times I watched this, I didn't give a damn about Elaine. But now this last time, something really clicked with me. I don't know if it's my age uh, or what, but um, I'm definitely feeling more Elaine now than I would have on a past viewing. Yeah. Well, there you go, people. You mm-hmm. heard it from both sides. You have been listening to a clip from one of our Academy Queens bonus episodes. If you would like to hear all of this episode and the rest of our sensational bonus content, please prance on over to patreon.com slash academyqueens and join our queendom.